So it's been a couple weeks. Are you ready for the hope shot? Like, really? Are you ready? Here it comes. Welcome to Consciously, a podcast focused on honest conversation by regular people and for regular people seeking spiritual growth. It's been awesome. Welcome back. It's great to be back in the saddle. Great interview earlier this week with Mati Osias, and we're jumping back in here at Consciously. Here's a conversation that Shmai and I did last week about Consciously Six Steps to a Vibrant Relationship with Our Creator. Uh, make sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Consciously62, and The Light Revealed, and at intentionaljew.com. And remember to follow us and give us some stars, five of them if you can. So here's me and Shmaya. Hey, Shmaya. Hey, 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 Menachem. So I must say that I really love this chapter. Mm. Uh, we're up to chapter five, which is the first chapter in step two mm. of the six-step process. And in this chapter, you detail what it means to be close to God. Closeness can have two connotations. You go through um, spatial or relational closeness. And you very simply lay out that we cannot be closer to God both spatially and relationally. We are extremely close as right. close as possible from both those contexts. Now, before I ask any of my questions, do you want to give any additional context to that? Well, I, I guess the important context is to put that the, the second step of the process is coming to awareness of the goal and how achievable the goal is, right? So a person has to know where they're going. There's a similar frame in 12-step recovery programs where the principle behind the second step is hope. Uh, the first step is kind of like a deep awareness of honesty about that I'm powerless, right? That a person is powerless over their addiction, that their life is unmanageable. The second step is came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, which is counterintuitive to how human beings address problems. Because usually the two-step process of addressing problem is, I have a problem, let me figure out what I'm going to do about it. Right. Like, And then it's like, no, 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 take a step back and spend some time thinking about whether you believe you could get better. Well, what difference does it make if I believe I need to get better? I have a problem. I need to address the problem. And this step follows that line of logic, which is that if you're really going to get somewhere, you're going to have to do two things. One is this step and then the next step. One is you're going to have to really gain a vision of where it is that you want to go and have some semblance of belief that you could get there. Because if a, re- a vibrant relationship with God is something that's like seems like it's magic or seems like it's totally outside of the frame of possibility, you're like you're never really going to invest in it because you're always going to feel like it's just delusion, or you're going to be operating from a place of like delusions of grandeur or you know the magical spiritual world of make believe, you know, instead of something that's like substantive. So it's critically so that's like the context we're trying to get a sense of what closeness to God is, so that we can gain a certain sense of belief that we might actually get to that vibrant relationship with God, which we've already discussed in the first step is maybe not what we would have originally anticipated. And then as we move on to step three, it'll be like, okay, well now are you willing to have that? Which is a, which is also again, counterintuitive. What difference does it make? It's the fundamental purpose of my life. Well, no, you need to like, you're human. You need to like, if I don't have willingness, I don't have willingness. And what do you do about that? That'll be in the third step. But in the second step, we're trying to gain a, gain a conception of that. So to circle back, so to speak, and refer to some of the stuff we already talked about in the, in the first step, this is the beginning of being able to go above the tree line. Right. Well, right. Yes. In, in this context. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. So yeah, within yeah. the context of coming to believe, quote unquote, 
first we have to identify that we couldn't even be closer if we tried. And that vision is above the tree line. Right, because the idea here is a shift in context. Because if a vibrant relationship with God is something you're trying to get outside of yourself, and then it has to be believable, so then I have to like really, really shift the frame of what a relationship with God looks like. Because my life's complicated. Here, what what Rav Schwartz does in Bovavi, and really what this Sifre Hasidus and this Farm of Pnimia Satora, the books of ancient Jewish wisdom, describe, is that most of the time. What it is that you're looking for spiritually is something you have already. So so it's really what, revealing something that's already there. Right. So one of the implications that you make in this chapter when you're talking about the idea that we can't be closer to God if we tried is that while this is true for our fundamental mission, it is not true for our individual mission. It doesn't have a role within our individual missions because in our individual mission, we have things that we need to overcome. We do need to change. Yes. Meaning... Can you speak more to that? Okay. So I do want to go back and talk about that separation between spatial closeness. We're going to get to that. Okay. We're going to get there. I don't want to... But there was a nice through line right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting point. It's funny. When the editor wanted to know why I didn't want to even make that into its own chapter. Um, And part of the reason was because Schwartz doesn't bring it up at all. And the book is not really about our personal mission, as we discussed last time. So I, I did. I, it's kind of thrown in as a foot, as a footnote. It was an interesting thing that dawned on me, which is that when it relates to our individual personalized mission, my mission for life, I'm really trying to achieve something that's outside of myself. Um, similar to what I was discussing on the podcast that I did with Arye, that idea that I discussed uh, about Hanukkah, which is that. Um, it's an or makif. It's an externalized light that surrounds me, that's inspiring me to be more than I am. It's, I have a problem. Now, what can I do to make this problem into a solution, right? I, or how can I bring about solution for other people, right? So it's stepping outside of myself um, as relates my personal mission, as relates to our fundamental mission, the fundamental underlying underlying mission, what Rav Schwartz teaches with the the ancient books of Jewish mysticism and wisdom teach us is that your fundamental mission is not something you have to get outside of yourself. It's actually just something you have to reveal from within yourself. So that was an interesting frame that I thought about. And that really struck me as significant. And it strikes me as true. Um, I I haven't really been able to think about it any other way. Right. Uh, Meaning I haven't been able to think about it in a way that contradicts that. Right. Right. So that at least in the terminology of Chabad Hasidus or Hasidus in general, my personal mission, my subjective mission is an or makif, is an externalized light, a surrounding light. And my my fundamental mission is an or pnimi, it's an internalized light. Part of what I was talking about with Aryeh, for those who haven't heard that episode, it's worthwhile to go back and listen, is that Sukkis, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the time, that time of the beginning of the year is an or makif, it's where we are inspired to see what we did wrong and maybe perhaps what we could do right. It gives us an inspiration of what we might accomplish this year. So we end Sukkot kind of very inspired to do more, to live more, to be more, to live a better year. And that doesn't always play itself out, and that can lead to darkness. Hanukkah is an orpanimi, is an internalized light. That even in the darkness, even in the most those most dark spaces, you know, I can find light. But there's this idea of ormakif and orpanimi of an externalized light and an internalized light as it relates to this point. It's like I have what's driving me outside of myself, which is counterintuitive because you'd think the subjective mission would be something inside of me because it most relates to my personality. Right. Right. And the objective mission is something outside of me that I share with everybody. You would think that that's the light, but actually it's counterintuitive. The subjective message, right, 
right? It's exactly the opposite. The subjective message is what's driving me that I'm supposed to accomplish outside of me. And the objective message, the thing that I share with everyone, because at the core of who I am is the same as the core of everyone, because at the core of everyone is this this literal spark of divinity that's inside of each of us. So at the core of me is the, is the thing I share with everyone. That's where the, you know, that's what helps me be an apple instead of a pomegranate. So to really draw that right back into it, because this light, because this relationship, because this peace of God is inside of me, this missionhood is inside of me, I don't need to go anywhere or change anything to engage that. Right. And again, you know, to... Well, I, I mean, I need to change the fact that I'm blocking it. Well, our conception... <laughs> that I'm in the way. Our conception, right. which you do by um, explaining the spatial and relational closeness. Right. Because once you're able to see that, it creates a shift in perspective. So right, do you right. want to talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, okay, that's a good segue. So what Rav Schwartz does is he kind of brings this context into uh, a ecological sphere. And he says that if we break down closeness, because in Hebrew, the word closeness is kirva, karov. It's the same, right? So if I'm karov to something, if I'm close to something, it's actually the same word as a relative. Right. I'm related to it. Right. Right. In English, there's different words. I'm close to something or I'm related to a thing, but that means I'm like related in a comparative way. In, in Hebrew, the word karov, the word for relative and the word for being close to something are actually the same word. Right. Right. It's in the Pasuk that we've been using, the passage that we've been using in Tehillim is Vani Kirvas Elohim Litova. And for me, closeness to God is good. That's the passage that the Ramchal uses as a source text. That's the foundation of all these ideas. Right. So what he says is if we break down the word karov and just in a, a logical manner, there's two types of closeness. There's the way in which I can be spatially close to something, meaning I can be in close proximity to it. I'm close to Tani but I'm closer to Lucy. I'm also close to you, but I'm closer to Tani than I am to you. And closest to your chair. Right. I'm closest to the chair. I'm even closer to my pants. Right. 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 So that's spatial closeness. It's the, within the realm of time and space. And then there's an emotional, relational closeness that I have. I could feel close. I feel closest to Tani. And then, I don't know, the competition between you and Lucy is different. Right. right? It's an interesting competition. It's actually interesting. I would say, who have you given more to? Right. Time and energy. <laughs> right. So, but I feel close, let's say. That's a that's an, it's an emotional attachment. But it's not just an emotional, because it's also psychological, existential, right? So it, there's those two types of things. One is one is kind of in, a, in, the, in the realm of the physical and material. Oh, and wait, one hold is the, on one second. I don't mean to cut you off. But for the people who are just listening to our podcast and have not heard the introduction on Facebook... Tani's in the room. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tani's joining us context. today. Right, right. Okay. Tani Menachem's son is in the room <laughs> with us. Yes. We have Tani and Lucy here today. Yeah, yeah, I have to put that in the introduction. Thank yeah. you. So there's these two types of closeness. There's the closeness that I have to a thing on a material plane, and then there's the closeness I have on a spiritual plane. Not mystical. I don't mean like God, angels. Right, right, right. I mean spiritual, existential, which opens up a whole different conversation that we had right. <laughs> a couple of days ago. So if we kind of look at the word kirva, the word closeness through those two lenses, either a material closeness or spiritual closeness, am I close to God or can I get closer to God? That's the question that he poses. And he says, well, let's think about it. If, okay, if I'm accepting the Torah, particularly Pinimiya Torah way of looking at the world as factual, right? There's, there's a leap of faith here, right? That I'm taking what the ancient wisdom of Torah says at its face value. 
And the question is whether I want to accept that. But if I were to take that at face value and not get too lost in the philosophy of it, right? So the, the Torah tells us that less asar panoimine, there's no space void of God, right? Now, if God's a creator, if you wanted to get more intellectual, philosophical about it, if God's a creator and he created everything, then either he is present, if he's an active present creator, he's present in all of his creations. The chair is a creation of God. My pants are a creation of God. I'm a creation of God, right? The tables are a creation of God. Tani's a creation of God. Lucy's a creation of God. Shmai's a creation of God. Ad nauseum, I could repeat that, but it's important to kind of realize everything around me is a creation of God. And if the creator is present, then he's present in those things. He, she, whatever it right. is present in those things. But even if the creator weren't present, let's say if he wanted to go there, right? The influence of the creator, the intention of the creator would be present, right? So the creator is all around me and everything, in everything that I'm seeing, right? But okay, so let's say, but let's say if we were taking the Torah-based, Panimius Torah, interior world of Torah view of it, less asar panimine, there's no space void of God, that God literally fills your existence, right? Right. So then it's like a powerful meditation, which we're going to talk about later when we get into action is like, think about the fact that, you know, feel, you know, one of the things you could do in meditation is kind of draw your sense to your senses. So let's like, can you feel fears, feel the part of yourself that's, a, that's connected to your chair, that's on your chair, right? Feel the chair on your back, feel the chair on your bottom, feel your feet on the ground, right? And then I can like feel my pants the on socks my body, on my feet, right? The socks on my feet, right? The you know, whatever it is, right? The hat on my head. I can feel it, the, the point of contact between the hat on my head and my head, right? And then there's like, God is closer to you than your hat. God's closer to you than the chair that you're in, right? So spatially speaking, the creator is closer to you than anything, right? right. So if I wanted to get closer to God on a spatial plane... You couldn't. I can't go to the Kotel Hamaravi. I can't go to the Western Wall and get closer to God. I can't go anywhere, to get closer to God. I might feel closer to God there. God's presence might be more powerfully perceptible there. For you. I wouldn't, whatever. I'm right, saying, right, let's yes, say yes, if yes. it was. Right, right, right. Right, if we, we are going at face value of Judaism, that God's presence is powerfully present at the Kotel Amaravi, maybe there's a mystical energy there. All of that being true. But if I, my literal, my hand was on the Kotel. You wouldn't be any physical. I wouldn't closer. be physically closer to God than my hand being on this table. Right. Right. No less or no more close. The experience of it, the connectedness to it, some mystical plane, there might be a closeness to it. But but within the context of Kirva, of closeness, I can't be closer to God than I already am on a spatial plane. So then it's, okay, so maybe Kirva Silicon Lito of closest to God is talking about on an emotional plane. And what, and what Rav Schwartz points out is that on a relational plane, the Torah invites us, at least from the vantage point of Torah, invites us to the idea that God is actually relates to us in always. He's the Torah describes him as our best friend. It describes him as our parent. Um, if you even go further into it, it describes us as our husband, the husband of Knesset Israel. Um, it describes God in these variety of relationships. It even describes us as his parent in a certain way, right? So the God relates to us in all of those ways. That's what those passages mean, right? So God is inviting us into all those relationships, right? So now we're not talking about a, a, a spatial awareness. We're just talking about like on an emotional level. So my dad is my dad. I'm close to him. He's my dad. Now, how emotionally close do I feel? Well, how much do you invest in the relationship? But how close am I on a, on a relational level? The closest. Right. He's my dad. I share his genetic, I share his genetics or my friends, right? Let's say somebody who's a true friend. 
a true friend. I'm very, very close to my true friend. God invites me to be his best friend. You did nefesh. Right. right? The fact that the Torah gives permission for all these various relationships, if there's anything we could pull out of that, it's that you are as close as possible. Well, you're as, as close as you want. Right. Right. So I might have a friend who's super close to me, but if I don't invest in that relationship and call him and spend time, and then I won't feel close to him, even though really I am very close to him. Not only that, but he makes another point, which is like, I could be across the world. Sometimes the people I'm closest to, I feel closest to them when I can't see them. Right. When I'm far away and I haven't seen them in a while, that's when I feel closest to them. So the closeness that you feel is not really related to the proximity that you have to somebody. So what he's kind of like teasing out, and then he says something, by the way, very, very powerful. I didn't put this in the book. It was a huge mistake. He says something super powerful. He says, one's ability to be aware and cognizant of their spatial closeness to God is directly related to their to how they develop an ability to feel emotionally close to God. You're going to have to repeat that. Okay. I told you about an idea in reflection about the fact that I could be putting my hand on the wall, on the kotel. Right. And I could put my hand on this table and I wouldn't be any more spatially close to God with my hand on the kotel than as I would with my hand on the table because God is as much present in the kotel as he is in the table. Right? right. Not talking about the mystical level. Right? right. Okay. So he says, the degree to which I experience that in reality is related to or connected with how emotionally close I am to God. That if I want to enhance my experience of that, the thing that's blocking me is not a philosophical awareness of spatial closeness but rather the degree to which I reveal my emotional relationship with God. You know where I've seen that play out maybe the most powerfully? Where's that? When I was living in Israel, it's interesting because you brought up the Kotel, you brought up the Western Wall. And when I was living in Jerusalem, I would go there fairly frequently. Yeah. And not every day that I was at the Western Wall did I have an experience. But every day that I prepared myself with thought preparation and a desire to feel close and an awareness of my closeness, I felt spatially close. Mm. And in that place where, you know, the Kotel, the fact that I would feel it there in a very intense way, but only when I allowed myself to through working on the relationship aspect of it. By working, I mean working out the relationship aspect of it in my head. Then when I was there, the spatial feeling was, was present only because... I did work out the relational closeness before I ever got there. Right. So that reflects exactly this idea. Anyway, so, but the point that he's driving at then is if we want to work on getting closer to God, we're not so much getting working, work, working on getting closer to God. We're working on becoming more aware of and enhancing our capacity to experience the closest to God that already exists. Mm which relates to the fact that it's an orpanimi. It's, it's an interior light. It's not something I'm trying to grab from outside of myself. It's something to, to reveal from within myself because well, spatially, I'm already closer to God. I couldn't get to closer to God if I wanted to. It's and emotionally, like we spoke about in the last episode. What's that? With the pillow, right? Yes, yes, yes. What was that line? That's a beautiful line. That when I'm asleep at night and my head is on the pillow, my head's still on the pillow. I'm just not aware of it. And right. if I wake up, 
I'm aware that I'm, my head is on the pillow. Right. And I have, the contact was always there. Right, right, exactly. So that's where the work is of Kirvas Elohim, which is this fundamental purpose, which is a vibrant relationship with God. It's like, I want a vibrant relationship with God. But usually when we say that, what we mean is I want some externalized relationship as if like, I want to get married, but I don't know who I'm going to get married to. So I need to go out and date and find somebody that I'm really passionate about so I can go and get married. But like, if you were already married, right? And it's a healthy relationship, whatever, right? It's good. It's uh, it's a good. It's the right match. You're already married. You're like I want to. I want to get married. I want a good relationship. Okay. Well, the re- it's here. It's here. Right. So what are you going to do about it? Relationship is here. What are you doing about it? What are you doing it? about it to make it amazing? Right. So right. it has a different context. But we often experience or assume the relationship with God is the first and not the latter. It's I want to go find someone to marry instead of I'm married. I want to make my relationship even better. And the answer that Schwartz is giving is like you're married to God to the Creator. You want a vibrant relationship with God with the Creator. You're already married to the creator. The creator fills your existence. The creator is willing to engage you at every level of relationship. It's willing to be your best friend. It's willing to be your father and your mother and your sister and your brother, right? It's willing to have all those interactions with you, wants to, wants to have those things. What can you do to kind of accept that in, to feel the creator's presence, to feel like God or the creator is your best friend? To feel that kind of, mm. which is, which is not an easy thing because, you know, you know, he doesn't talk to us. And if he starts talking to us, then we're right, in trouble. Right, right. Right? It's not the way it works. Right. But it's about experiencing the creator at a very, very intense level on an emotional level and then on a conceptual experiential level. So I guess what, I, what I'm really pulling out of this whole conversation, I don't need anything to do. I don't need to do anything to start. Yeah. Like you're enough. I'm enough. You're enough. The relationship I already have is enough. I just need to maybe engage it a little bit. Right. Open the door to to remove anything that's blocking you. Which I'm sure we're going to get into more as we explore this step. Which is the whole program. Which is the whole program. That's the whole thing. That becomes the whole thing. That's what you find out. And it's a beautiful message. And it's a message that resonated for me because all the time that spirituality was something I had to get to that was outside of myself, I always felt insufficient and incapable of like, living up to the responsibility or I was, I was never going to be able to get there. But this was a message that's specifically, I think, useful for regular people. I mean, whatever regular people I is. I mean, it's the hope shot, you know? Right. So, which actually raises another question for me, that this idea that I couldn't possibly closer to God and that I don't need to change or grow in order to start this process. I get to start from right here, right now. When I read that, I thought to myself, wow, that could also be placed before we do step one rather than after. Right. Is there a reason you wrote it in this order? Well, I mean, Rav Schwartz wrote it in that order. So I was following him, but you're saying, why, why not put that step first? What can we learn from the fact that I, I think that the significance is the awareness that what I want to do is not just, and this is significant for me, and I don't know that it would be significant for everybody, but what I want to do is not just me trying to um, have some kind of spiritual high, but that this is actually incredibly and deeply meaningful. It's not just me chasing some feeling of closeness to the creator. It's, I want a vibrant relationship with God. Okay, but first, it's important for you to realize, like, that desire is actually really, really important. What you're doing is not just feeding some kind of immature or self-indulgent spiritual thirst. This is actually the fundamental purpose of your life. It's the underlying reason why you're here. And that gives a certain permissiveness, permission, and it also gives a certain um, inspiration and validation about what we're doing. So that if you just started here 
and didn't go there, then you strip away the layers of objective meaningfulness that I think, or moral meaningfulness that I think is, is important. It's important to me. You know, I think that someone else might say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't care. It's just about me. That's possible. Someone could say that. But for me, when I know that I'm doing something that's of import, that relates to the meaning of my life, the purpose of my existence, it allows me to, to throw myself into it in a different way. So what I'm hearing you say is that when I, when I have the context that this isn't just about the idea of like, oh, I could turn around right now and engage my relationship with God. And that's an amazing idea. And that's really cool. But when I give the context of like, no, 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 this is fundamental. Like you're not happy in your spiritual life. The reason you're not happy in your spiritual life is because you lack a fundamental perspective of how is this all connected? What is the connectedness of my life? Why have I not seen the through line? Well, the reason you haven't seen the through line is because you're missing the overarching perspective of we're here to be close to God. Oh, I'm supposed to be close to God. What do I need to do to be close to God? Nothing. Well, it's more than that. Like it's, it's yes, but then it's more. It's like God, there's a call to action that God's inviting you to. So does the call to action come first or... I know we spoke about it in the lens of missionhood, but we didn't actually do any missionhood stuff other than begin to understand. Like as of right now in the book, we haven't taken any action towards missionhood right. other than coming to the awareness that right. So the bigger be question, if I tried. The bigger question, and this is where it's interesting because the bigger question would be, okay, so why don't you go straight from step one, step four? Where Step four, five, and six is where there's actually work. Right. Right. That's where there's actually work on stripping away the things that get in the way of feeling God's vibrant present in your life, presence in your life. Step two and three are almost like, seem like a sidestep. So it's interesting that you ask the question the other way. Step two and three really well, take I account. Can, I can only ask the question from the perspective that I'm reading the book. Right, right, right. No, no, no. It's great. It's yeah, great. Yeah. I'm saying it's a, it's a great question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting because step two and three really speak to the fact that we're very, very much human. Mm. And that if, if I want to be, it's very nice that there's a call to action of my creator and a missionhood to make the fundamental, to accept the fundamental purpose of my life as having a vibrant relationship with my creator. My creator didn't just stick me here to do stuff. He st stuck me here also to have a vibrant relationship. That's very, very nice, but there's a limitation of, of hope and there's a limitation of willingness that oftentimes gets in the way for me actually following through. Mm. So this program kind of takes account for that, which is one of the things that attracted me to it is that it's very down to earth, which is like, uh, cause I'll take that call to action and make it something that's being demanded of me. That's difficult and overwhelming. And it, it, it remains a more mock if it remains a surrounding light. So step two kind of steps in and allows me to have the realization that this is not an externalized light. It's not something that's being imposed upon you from outside, but it is actually a fulfillment of yourself. So if I may be so bold, step one is twofold, identifying the problem and also giving you the key to success. When we get to step two, we realize that like you can't jump into just the key. You first need to develop some level of hope right. that it's even possible for you. Right. I like that. Yeah. And then step three is willingness. I like that a lot. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for Thanks for listening to the Consciously Podcast. Consciously is a project of The Living Room, which is a division of Our Place New York, and made possible by the kindness of the Capellius family, 
in memory of Tsipora Basravaron, the host of Consciously is Menachem Posnansky, and our trusted assistant to the regional co-host, Shmaya Hanekman. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We sincerely welcome and appreciate your feedback and questions, so please feel free to email us or on our Instagram and Facebook pages. 